All right, welcome to episode 31 of the At-Bat Podcast presented by War Media, where we give you our thoughts on the latest Chicago baseball news, as well as take a trip around the league. I am Saul Rodriguez, along with my work colleagues, Gabriel Wilkins, Miles Porter. How are we doing today, guys? How are we doing, Miles? Hey, doing doing good, you know, just uh, enjoying enjoying this this beautiful, amazing weather we're having here in Chicago, so that's, that's always fun, but uh, yeah, doing good, doing good. Same workout routine for baseball, just getting ready for the season next year and just uh just enjoying the World Series. Yeah, I'm with you, man. I've definitely been taking out the time to enjoy some nice weather in Chicago land area. 70 degrees back to back days. You really can't complain about that. As well as you know, watching some World Series uh action and you know, White Sox making a big time splash higher, you know, at the managerial spot for once and for all. Glad to see that they got that resolved with someone who um appears to be an excellent communicator. And had an impressive interview yesterday at Guarantee Ray Field. Yeah, no, that's yeah, that's, uh, that's what we're going to start off with today. The White Sox hire uh, manager Pedro Grifol. Uh, he, you know, spent uh, I believe it was twelve seasons with the Kansas City Royals. And uh, yeah, I mean, to be honest, man, I'll, I'll give my two two cents real quick before we give it off to Gabe, the the you know the White Sox fan here. But you know, I I. I said it myself. I even mean, had a piece for War saying, you know, to get Joe Espada, but unfortunately, it didn't work out there. Uh, but you know what? When you really break down this hire, I think they, the White Sox did a great job, uh, you know, in, in getting you know a guy that's you know that was seemed like he was under the radar, but it, it looks like he's it looks and sounds like a great baseball mind. Um, he was actually on a podcast, uh, uh, I believe it was last year, um, uh, with a guy named Alex Fuse. He's a uh, he's a broadcaster young broadcaster right? and I listened to a little bit and kind of like his what went into his game planning and yeah man I mean all, all signs look, look really good for uh with the, when it comes to uh Grifol and, and all that so and not to mention too it's also cool to have a, a Hispanic uh um, manager there and to you know there's some fans that are even saying hey you know they'll bring back uh Abreu is like you know because just you know he's Cuban and, and you know he'll love he would love to play him you know with him there maybe another, another year or something but uh, well, obviously, we'll start with you, Gabe. So, what are your initial thoughts, and and um, and what did you think about the overall hire about uh from above of Pedro Grifol? Well, my my initial thoughts on it is that you know I give kudos to the White Sox organization for holding a thorough and expansive managerial search. Uh, Rick Hahn talked about it in the press conference for Grifol, um, how they had between 20 to 30 names and they eventually wound up interviewing a total of eight names among those 20 to 30 names expansively. And they said what impressed them the most with Grifol was his communication ability, his ability to, you know, relate to multiple players across the clubhouse. Me personally, I was looking for a manager who was bilingual a guy who was an excellent communicator, a guy that um, pays a big attention to detail. As we know, Grafal, he played an expansive role in Kansas City's game planning over mm -hmm. the last several years as a bench coach. Kansas City has had tremendous amount of success against the White Sox. I believe they're 97 and 84 over the last 10 years in which Grafal was a part of that Royal staff. So that says a lot to me. One thing that impressed me in the press conference that he talked about was is making sure that the energy of the ball club is right each and every single day they take to the field. And he was talking about how he noticed when he was a bench coach at Kansas City how it depended on the day with the White Sox, which team you were going to get. And that's telling when someone that's on the opposite end of the dugout can tell your energy level is not up mm -hmm. to par and when it is. And he said, when it is, they're one of the top teams in the American League to beat. I can see that for myself as a fan going to many games. And to see that someone from within the division knows that, now having come over here to Chicago, I think that's a positive sign. And it makes me wonder, well, if he knows that much about the White Sox ball club already, what does he know about other ball clubs that the White Sox will be seeking to contend with in an effort to get back atop of the AL Central in 2023, such as the Cleveland Guardians, who are the reigning AL Central champions, the Minnesota Twins, you know, as well as the Kansas City Royals, a team that the White Sox have often struggled with, but up-and-coming Detroit Tigers team. 
So I'm I'm impressed with the hire a lot. I like that he's put his feet to the fire immediately, got in touch with Eloy Jimenez, a guy who he had the privilege of coaching in winter ball, I believe, in the Dominican Republic uh, about a few years ago before he made his debut when he was like a 20 or 21-year-old rookie. So I, I, I'm, I'm impressed with the hire on many facets and many levels. And I like his attitude. And I believe that all the work that he's put in to get to this position will be a, a, a huge benefit to him as well. And I also believe that the addition of Charlie Montoyo is his bench coach, a guy mm-hmm. who is a former manager of the Blue Jays, had success in Toronto, had them above 500. You know, in spite of him getting fired this season, he has recent managerial experience. We know what he did in Tampa Bay as a bench coach. I think that he'll be a, a huge help to football in, in this process and, and getting transitioned into being in that league seat and going forward. Yeah, what do you think, Miles, about the, the overall hire then? Yeah, no, I, I think, first of all, I think Gabe has made some incredible points um, in terms of just, you know, a, a coach who's – Coach, I have a manager who's, you know, who's communicating is so important. And just based off of, you know, kind of what I've learned, and I'm still learning uh, things about this guy as well, but it's I've heard mm-hmm. nothing but amazing things. To be to be someone who's very observant um, in, in, in baseball, that, that takes you such a long way. Um, and so for this manager already to have certain knowledge on these players, uh, to, to kind of see tendencies, kind of understand the personality of how this team was working this year and already coming up with a game plan on how to on how to improve that and how to prevent certain things and try to, you know, help the mentality and the moral of this entire ball club. I think it's incredible. It's kind of it kind of goes back to what I was saying this entire season where the White Sox, you know, on days they looked very defeated, on days they looked very confident. Um and and I'm gonna keep saying that this is a very talented ball club. Um, and you know, the the mental part of baseball is one of the hardest things in the world. Uh, you, you know, certain days you do feel great, certain days you don't feel great, but you kind of got to find that common ground as much as you can um, in order to find success. And, I, and from what I'm hearing about this new manager, he's going to be so beneficial to all of that. So I'm I, I'm I'm on board with it. I'm super happy for the White Sox, and I'm hoping to see some good baseball from next year. Yeah, no, and and uh, the thing is too is the the way that and you know gave uh, said it too with the game planning. That it's you know it's it's become it's becoming a way more important thing in, you know that the type of strategy, um and a lot goes into it but like he kind of played it down I know when I was listening to to that podcast uh, where he was being interviewed last year and when they talked about game planning but he kind of played it down and saying you know it's just a part you know part of the game and and they you know they they um it's just something that they you know they they just plan for the whole game and just kind of strategize for it and from like from before but. It's, I think it's pretty important because uh, with the way the game is nowadays with the bullpen and, and, and starters, it's, you know, to to know when a guy's coming in and stuff like that and, 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 you know, have everything arranged the way it should be. I think it says something about organization, and I think it says something about uh, how prepared a guy is. Obviously, you know, things don't always go to plan and things, you know, especially in baseball, it's so unpredictable. So, um, but you still want a guy like that that's, that, that you know, is going to try to prepare for every situation that happens and it seems like you know what he what he's you know what he has done, and also the fact that he embraces analytics. So like we yeah. all know, and we we've had conversations here as well that you know at the end of the day, analytics uh, can only get, take you so far. But to have a good mixture of analytics and you know you know uh, just uh, overall uh, game planning and 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 without the numbers, um, is a great thing to have. And also what I was thinking was that for the White Sox, and 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 I know Gabe, you can attest to this more is, you know, they've, they have never really been analytically driven or at least, you know, uh, to, to this extent. Uh, and uh, yeah, I wanted to see what you thought about that because I thought it's super important to have a guy like that right now in this day and age, um, you know, and, and to be a, a smart guy and to just to be, you know, well, like I said, well, like overly prepared and also just into the numbers. What did you think about that when you talked about the analytics game and all that stuff? Because I know, I, I know plenty, and the thing is, just like the organization, there's plenty of fans out there that, you know, that uh, plenty, especially White Sox fans, because I know a couple, too, that aren't really, all, you know, sold in general to analytics, and we always, you know, have these, you know, arguments about what, you know, what numbers are important and whatnot, but uh, I think, in it, you know, it's important to have a guy like like uh, Pedro Grifo. 
Absolutely. And I had mm. the pleasure of listening to that interview that he did when mm. he was a member of the Royal staff mm. back in 2021, talking about game planning. And what I got from it is, is that he's a guy who was seeking to mix analytics with instinctual baseball knowledge. You know, he seems like an old school guy, but he's also open. And, and being mm. open-minded in this day and age is very important. You know, we're talking about a White Sox team that was you know, on paper projected they hit way more home runs than what they finished with. They failed to reach that expectation. And while, you know, stats like exit velocity don't tell you everything, you know, Rick Hahn has even said it himself many times, and it's a saying that a lot of us as White Sox fans have said as well, and it's been a true testament to this team being successful or either middle of the pack like they were this year, and that's ball go far, team go far. Mm. And you, you have to have guys that are analytically, you know, savvy, if you will, in order to be successful in some capacity in this game of baseball nowadays. But he's also a guy who knows how to mix in some old school strategy with it. He doesn't strike me as being a fully analytical guy. And one mm -hmm. thing that he said in that podcast that really stuck out to me the most was when he was talking about just the 162-game grind. Mm -hmm. You you can't win a pennant in April and May, he said, but you can sure as hell lose. Mm -hmm. and, and, and that stuck out to me. And this was a team that got off to a hot start through the first 10 to 12 games. But once they went into Cleveland in the middle of April and, and went on like a six to eight game losing skid, they were never able to get back right after that, no matter how many times they tried. And I think he's going to stress the importance of getting off to a good start and be the type of guy that even if they don't make sure that the mindset is vital and important and that guys in the locker room are keeping the vibes at an all time high, which is what is needed. Because I think that energy was missing from this group. And a lot of times that comes from the leader and no disrespect to Tony LaRusso. He was never able to really get a full stranglehold on these guys. I believe my opinion. Pedro is having the ability or been, has been granted the ability rather to get his own staff and work with Rick Hahn hand in hand who's into analytics in regards to building his coaching staff and I believe he'll also be doing the same to make improvements and upgrades to the current roster. Yeah, no, that, that's true and, and the fact that he said that yeah, like that you could lose a, a you know uh, pending in, in in April and in May, that is true. And the thing is too is, uh, you know, plenty of seasons have have started like that. Let me look for example. Perfect example: the Yankees this year, right? Yep. Is that they went they went on kind of like a little bit of a downward spiral in August. But if it wasn't for that, you know, amazing start um, mm -hmm. where they were like seventy and twenty, and I'm just exaggerating, but that's how much like it was just they were you know going off at the beginning of the season. You know, they they you know they might have not made it to the playoffs if they didn't have that great start. Who knows, right? Absolutely. So, um. Yeah, it's it, you know to get off in a good start is definitely one of the most important things and one of the most like un, like underappreciated things. I feel like people don't talk about that enough, and I think it's super important. Uh, just because you know, especially in April, you know, it's because look at the end of the day, people always say, "Oh, you know, it's an it's an April game, it's a May game. Who cares?" But ultimately, the games matter. Like they just yeah. do. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. I I get it. It's early. You can't get too excited. You can't get you know too you know too over the top or too you know too down. But at the same time, that game in May it might cost you, you know, in uh, in September. So um, mm -hmm. it, it just is what it is. So I think it's it's important to value, you know, at the beginning of the season. But yeah, no, I, I definitely like this higher. Um, it's out of the box, but and, and I was saying I was telling some Sox fans too, and because a lot of them were like, "Who is this guy? Like, you know, you know, why couldn't they get like Ozzy or something?" But look, it's out of the box, and I think that maybe that's what those Sox needed. You know, you they know needed. What? Yeah. And, and, and not to cut you up, but this oh, is the thing that really stuck out to me the most. He is the first manager, I believe, since Jerry Manuel in 1998 to be hired from outside of the organization. Pedro Gafal has yeah. no ties, no previous White Sox ties. Even though he had a relationship with Chris Getz in Kansas mm -hmm. City, who worked, you know, with inside their, their front office for a while before coming here, as well as play for the Royals after leaving here. He, mm -hmm. he has some, you know, connections with, with, with Chris Getz, as well as, um, I believe, the scouting director, Mike Shirley, and him 
played minor league baseball together with the Twins. Like, he has previous relationships from other places, but he has no direct White Sox ties, you know, from previous past. I, I think that's a big deal. Mm-hmm. You know, this was a fan base that wanted an outsider, that wanted a new voice. Yeah. He provides you that. And, oh, by the way, he was also within your division. So he's seen a lot of you, good and bad. So I I, I like the hire. I kept hearing his name a lot. Didn't know much about him but as I continue mm-hmm. to read more and more on him. I, you know, and, and especially seeing the way he spoke in the press conference, mm-hmm. you know, about sacrifices and what it took to get to this point. He, he's saying all the right things. Now it's time to put the work in. Yeah, no, and this that is true, though, the fact that, you know, they've, a lot of fans, you know, they were like, just as long as it has no ties with the White Sox. Thank you. Uh, and yeah, it just, it's just been a little bit over, it's just been too much in, you know, coming like that for the Sox and a little bit like too many, too many comfortable hires. And I think mm-hmm. this is one that, this is one that that's kind of, not, not, it sounds kind of like insulting, but like it is an uncomfortable hire because it's different. You know what I mean? So, exactly. um, so I think it'll all turn out well for the Sox, you know, overall with this guy, you know, he looks like he's ready to go and, and that, uh, yeah, as you said, it's important to know a guy to have a guy that knows the division. So, uh, yeah, hopefully it all works out and talks are ready to go. Uh, we'll shift over to the Cubs now. Nothing, nothing much. Really, just uh, wanted to talk a little bit about the Gold Glove situation. So Ian Happ uh, wins his first career Gold Glove, and you know what? Going into it, uh, Miles is going to ask you a little bit about the Gold Glove uh, situation. So honestly, watching the season. Uh, go, you know, Ian Happ did make some great plays, you know, over the course of the season, but a gold glove didn't necessarily pop out to me when I was, or I wasn't really thinking about that, you know, when, when, uh, you know, throughout the season in general, but kind of, what did you think about Ian Happ defensively over the course of the season? And honestly, what's your opinion on gold gloves in general? Because I was, you know, talking to Gabe before I came on and, you know, I think, look, the, the award's cool and it, it is, you know, to have a gold glove. And, and when you talk about guys like Arenado, like there's no doubt about it that he deserves, you know, the last like 10 gold gloves, you know. But I think that a lot of the gold gloves or a lot of the times that gold gloves just go off like fielding percentage, which is very one-dimensional, you know. So um, kind of, yeah, I wanted to get your take on Ian Happ and, and just gold gloves overall, man. What do you think? Yeah, you know, it's definitely it's definitely a prestigious award. I think any any sort of award at this level is very uh it's it's very, you know, very very important. Um but I think you made a good point there. And and before I get into it, I'll say that with with Ian Happ, I think he took a lot of steps forward in many different aspects of his game this year. I think he's always been very defensive. Um, a very solid defensively, um, no matter where the Cubs have put him. And, you know, we've seen him all over the – we've seen him at first, at, at second, and, and, you know, now he's pretty much – left field is pretty much his position. Um, we saw him in center a little bit as well. Mm-hmm. So to kind of see him just settle into left and, and be as solid as as he has, um, I think it's great. Now, I do I think it's any different than how he's played left field in the past? No, I, I, I don't. But I do believe that he did make make a lot of great defensive play this, plays this year. Um, you know, the, the the Gold Glove is an interesting interesting award. I think I think for the most part, a lot of it does go off a of fielding percentage. Um, but so many of these guys um, may not have that many moments defensively during the year. But if there's someone who has like two or three that saved the game or saved the wild card or saved the World Series when. I, I, my whole thing is I hope that a lot of these players are acknowledged just as much mm-hmm. um, just because I know that there are, for some guys, there really is a, a small sample size. There is. Um, but, you know, I'd be, I'd be okay with it a little bit more if some of these players were acknowledged just a little bit more. Mm-hmm. The unfortunate thing is certain players aren't getting the ball hit to them that much. That's just that's just that's just the reality of, of baseball. Sometimes is you, depending on who your pitching staff is, depending on the weather or whatever the case may be. Certain players aren't getting that many opportunities to make crazy plays or, or or getting that many outfield assists or whatever the case may be. There's so much that plays into it. I think that uh, I think if there's a wider spectrum, maybe that some of these some of these committees can look at. That'd be more helpful as well because as I'm looking at all these gold glove winners, every single one of them is very deserving, but I also would like to see some honorable mentions as well. Yeah, no, you're right. And I think that's what another thing I was going to say was the fact that, um, 
uh, Nico Horner was not even nominated, and he was just one of the best defensive shortstops. Yeah, yeah. he was. Uh, he was second in the National League in total runs saved, which is one of the most important, you know, infield defensive stats. Um, and you know, Miguel Rojas deserved to win it, no doubt about it. Uh, I think he was that good this year. Uh, but just the fact there's no nomination. Um, you know, but you know, I was telling I was telling Gabe too is the fact that uh, Dylan Cease. Uh, was not nominated for, uh, you know, go glove uh, for starting for, for pitchers. And a lot of the White Sox fans online I saw were just outraged, you know, the fact that he didn't get a nomination or even win for that matter. But, uh, Gabe, what did you think? I wanted to Dylan get you stop disrespecting this ball, but... Dylan C. I'm tired of this. <laughs> yeah, like, dude, I, I, go ahead, Gabe. Sorry. I, I, I get it. I, I get it. But, I mean, if I give you another name who I felt could have been considered for go mm-hmm. glove if you're looking at it from a pitching standpoint on the White Sox. Johnny Cueto, you know, like he's a wizard, like his, his awareness and and his ability to um, make plays and and the way he feels the position, you can tell he's played other positions in baseball prior to becoming a pitcher. And I know he has, Mm -hmm. I forget which ones to be exact, but I know he did come up as a, as a prospect in, in other areas prior to pitching. So like he's a guy that stood out to me, even though he's a veteran and he's been here and done it before. I don't even believe he's won a gold glove, but he's always been an impressive fielder just throughout the course of his career, not even just with the White Sox. But I, pitching is kind of tough when it comes to gold gloves. And, and Mal brought up an excellent point in regards to how, you know, a lot of this, uh, one of the main key factors is how often is the ball being hit to you? Mm-hmm. And in a day and age where you have so many shifts, you know, defensively, you know, that, that can impact the amount of baseballs that you see coming your way as a defensive player as well. And I and when you bring up the point on Nico Horner, yeah, that does kind of, you know, shock me. How are you second in defensive run save, but not nominated? Mm-hmm. You should at least be nominated. But mm-hmm. I'm more the only the, the only main gripe that I have with Dylan is is how was it he an all-star? The gold glove, mm-hmm. you know discussion that could go either way but you know I, I do think gold gloves are important though, and I think gold gloves should garner way more appreciation from fans because defense does help win championships and in an era where we're so concerned with big time numbers like OPS and slugging percentage and all of that you know defense wins titles and the mm-hmm. one thing that did impress me the most when I look at these gold gloves, Cleveland had three gold glove winners. Andre Jimenez in second base, Mal Shaw in center, and Stephen Kwan, I believe, in left field. So, like, you have all these guys who won gold gloves, didn't score a lot of runs, the Guardians didn't, mm-hmm. but they proved that defense can win you a division. And that's exactly why one of the teams that we previously discussed in the White Sox are seeking to try and make upgrades to their corner positions within the outfield because they're very important. So, I mean, overall, I I can't say that I have a major, major gripe, but I could see some of it because Dylan sees, yeah, he's, he's a pretty good fielder for the most part, but that's always tricky with pitchers. Yeah, no, you're right. And, 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 you know, I will say this, is that yeah? 100% agree. The the award does does matter. I just think I, ultimately the way they, uh, the way they decide who wins it, I think m- might need to be not overhauled, but I think you know looked at differently and and, and kind of uh, I guess looked at through different numbers. But um, yeah, no, I think that 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 does make you know Cueto does make a good case, and and he has been you know a, a, a solid defender all of his career. Um, so yeah, no, it, it definitely could go either way. And I, I completely agree with you with whole Dylan, Dylan Cease and the, you know, and, and, uh, the all-star game, but it was one of those things that we talked about, me and Miles talked about at the time is the fact that it, what, 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 uh, what stopped it from being an all-star was the whole, uh, every team needs an all-star. Uh, yeah. and yeah. And, then, and like, and, and that, 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 you know, every year that, you know, that situation always comes up with somebody and, and, and it, it causes, you know, people to talk about whether that's, you know, that should be a thing, but I think that's for, that's for another day. But, um, because that's like, you know, uh, I don't know. I that's ultimately such a big thing that, um, baseball only does and it's an exhibition. So I don't know. We'll, we'll see. And I, and I will say this too, 
is that because I was talking to some Sox fans recently about this, and it's like Paul, you know, Paul Blackburn may never be an All Star again. No, you know, no offense to Paul Blackburn, I don't know, right? I'm just you know, talking. But Dylan Cease looks like he's he's an elite talent that could be a, you know an All Star five more times. So that's you know that could you know that would uh you know maybe um put you at ease a little bit, Gabe. But what I didn't get though, and I know every team has to have an All Star for mm-hmm. the All Star game. Now that we're talking about it, if I'm not mistaken. Garrett Cole pitched on the final day of the first half of the season. And typically mm. when that happens, you have a replacement. And even though Garrett Cole was an all-star, he wasn't allowed to pitch, but he did show up in L.A. Mm-hmm. Like, he couldn't even got a uniform. <laughs> I, mean, I, I just, I, I don't, I, I didn't understand it. That, to me, that was one of the biggest snubs I've seen in the last 20 years of watching baseball. I just did get. I just knew he would get in at least as like an injury replacement for mm-hmm. someone, you know. But I, yeah, no. you know that that's that that'll be one of the greatest um <laughs> stories to talk about the next ten to fifteen years. Like they really, they really shafted him out of an all star appearance this year for sure. Yeah, no, that's, and that's what I was. You know, we've talked about it before. Just like the all star game and just all that stuff. It's so complicated and and it could go so many different ways. Yeah. So yeah, <laughs> me off, man. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Freddie Freeman was like a like, he almost like they're, Yo, they're almost, almost like, forgot. Like, oh yeah, Freddie Freeman's really good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we knew. Yeah, it was, of course. Like that's what it felt like. Don't get me started on the All Star game. And the, the, that's the only the only reason the only reason Ty France and uh, and Freddie Freeman made the All Star game was because of us, Miles. Remember? Because we you know we were we were talking about it, making a big deal. I need my, I need my credit. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> For real. <laughs> Uh, all right, man. So we'll now we'll now shift over to, uh, of course, the the biggest story in baseball, which is the World Series. Uh, so right now, the Houston Astros and the Philadelphia Phillies, uh, they played five games, uh, and the Astros have won three out of the first five games. It's been an absolutely insane series, and just you know, as as we expected, you know, I think everyone really talked about last week of it it being a long series, whether you know six, seven games, whatever, and it's been you know, way more than I expected to just awesome. Just wait, just in every way, scoring, pitching, it's got everything, no hitters um, and all that. But, you know, initial thoughts, we'll, we'll start with you, Miles, just straight up, like, and we'll get, we'll break down each game and we'll look at each, you know, each decision that has been made so far. But uh, what what is your initial thoughts right now as the Astros stand uh, one game away from, uh, from winning their second world series since uh, 2017? I mean, wow, there, there, there's so much to take away from, from this entire series. I'm loving the fight that the Phillies are showing. They just, they, the Phillies have not just folded to this team. They're, they're, mm-hmm. they're, they're battling. They're, you know, they're putting up runs. They're pitching well in, in most cases. Um, and the Astros are just showing their maturity and how solid they are and the timely hitting. And, and, and you know, yeah, but like you said, we're going to get into to the different games and, you know, the specific player stats, but, this has been in a, a very entertaining World Series, and it just makes me proud of the MLB, and it makes me very proud of these two teams to compete the way they're competing and also put on a great show because this right here is huge for baseball. You know how happy I was to see Meek Mill <laughs> rapping the Dude, game yeah. of the day? That, that was amazing. And it's just, uh, the, the, you know, the city of Philadelphia, this is great for them. And, and and this story between these two teams and people are against the Astros. They don't want to see them win for reasons that we don't need to get into. And they want to see Bryce Harper get a World Series and, and Philly fans showing their passion. I think the story of this World Series alone is just amazing. And then for the, for the actual games themselves to be as incredible as that they've been, I couldn't be more satisfied. I could not be more proud of either one of these teams, regardless of the outcome, I just think it's been great for baseball and I've been super entertained for various reasons. You know, to add to Miles point, man, it, it's been an incredible world series. Uh, you know, I, I talked with you guys prior to the series and I was talking about how important defense would be and how it would play a vital role in who came up with the trophy of series end or not. And it's been so many great defensive plays that have been made. Mm-hmm. Think about the hit that Jeremy Pena had at the bottom of the ninth in game one. Mm-hmm. And Nick Castellanos robbed after, you know, Philadelphia came back from down 5 nothing. And as soon as he got that, you know, highway robbery on right field, you know, you had JT Real Muto step up and hit a home run. That was the mm-hmm. difference in the ball game. 
take last night, game five of the World Series, Chaz McCormick, you know, making that big time play out in center field. If he doesn't make that play, you're talking about a double, if not a triple. Mm-hmm. You know, depending on how bad the fall is, he doesn't come down with that baseball. So it's been some big time plays, Trey Mancini as yeah. well, you know, mm-hmm. making that big first base when Swarber hit that line drive, you know, to save the runs off the board. It, I, I've been impressed with the defense on both sides, and I've been impressed with pitching as well. Um, what Verlander did, he wasn't even on – he didn't even have his best stuff. Mm-hmm. But he found a way, nevertheless, to make that slider just effective enough to get Reese Hoskins out with a bases loaded jam in the bottom of the second. He also got Castellanos on a fly out, you know, and, and the, the close the game at the bottom of the fifth for his final winning the work on the 10-pitch at bat. So I've just been impressed with the, the defensive play and the pitching as well as the young stars, guys that I wasn't really familiar with to start the year, but I know I'm going to have my eyes on going forward, such as Jeremy Payne. It's like the bigger the moment, the bigger the stage, the bigger his game gets. He doesn't play like a rookie. You know, at least he has it throughout um, October from mm. coming up with timely hits in the LDS round, the LCS round. And you saw it, you know, in game five of the World Series to break that tie, getting that home run. So as well as, you know, the base hit to start the game to help you to draw first blood. So I- I've just been impressed with, with both sides. And even though Houston's up 3-2, and 31 out of the last 47 teams to have a 3-2 lead to win, you can't count Philadelphia out. Mm-hmm. Like, like Mal said, these guys battle. And even though they're going behind enemy lines in Houston with Framber Valdez taking them out in game six, all it takes is for those bats to wake up offensively and doing something that they didn't do in game five, which is executing with runners in scoring position. Mm-hmm. I think that's what cost them the game last night. They had their chances. Yeah, you know, you're right. And defense, yeah, defense has been such a big deal that, you know, so many plays to, to you know, to save games or whether, you know, to prevent. And yeah, that Mancini one, man, that one goes on the line at two runs, you know. So yeah. it, they had so many things. Have, and, and also just the fact that we're talking about defense in a World Series with the Phillies, let alone the Phillies being in there. But the Phillies, you know, their defense was absolutely horrendous. Exactly. Uh, throughout the season, <laughs> throughout the season, it was pretty bad in some spots, especially at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I even had a friend that literally would just watch because he knew there was going to be a debacle in the ninth inning. Like he's like, I can't wait to watch Phillies baseball in the ninth inning because it's going to something's going to go wrong. It typically um, does. <laughs> yeah. So uh, to to show how much they've uh, improved and to you know the clutch defense, especially Castellanos, who like, I mean, he's arguably one of the worst defensive, you know, outfielders in the game. And he's – credit to him, man. He's gone out there and even he said – even he said, though, like, that focus has a lot to do with it and the fact that, like, in a regular season game, he like – I forget exactly what he said, you know, but he was kind of like – he kind of alluded to the fact that in a regular season game, it's easy to not be focused yeah, in, in every pitch, every pitch. So, like, in postseason baseball, he's stuck on everything, everything that's going on. So – it's a little easier to be focused, which, you know what, uh, credit to him is like, you know, if you want anyone to be 100% focused on anything, it, it should be the, you know, playoffs, play, come playoff time, you don't want it to be the opposite. So, that, that you know, it's it's important. Uh, so, we'll go down the line, you know, game one, uh, obviously a classic, you know, the, the Astros came out to a 5 to nothing lead, and then the, the Phillies were able to come back, storm back uh, to tie the game at 5 and then in extra innings, Ramuto uh, got a solo home run to give the Phillies the lead and ultimately the win. Uh, then in game two, uh, the Astros were able to win five to two uh, behind uh, Framber Valdez, who just, you know, did his thing because, you know, he's a quality start king. Uh, and, and it was obviously more, better than a quality start that day. But uh, then, then the Phillies came back, able to shut out the Astros seven to nothing. It was they hit five home runs off uh, Lance McCullers. Uh, and then in game uh, number four, the Astros were able to uh, no hit the Phillies in the game that Christian Javier started. And it was a group effort. Um, you know, for the for the pitching staff for the Astros to no hit. It was just the second no hitter in World Series history. Um, and the first um, as a team. And then, of course, in game number five, 
the Astros were able to edge the Phillies 3-2. Uh, Justin Verlander gets his first career World Series win, and I know I saw uh, videos of him hugging, you know, Dusty Baker, and then how much that win means to him. So, um, with you know, with just how um, you know his stats have been in the World Series, it hasn't been pretty. So uh, he was able to hold his own, um, and I'm not surprised. So uh, we'll start with game game number one. Uh, what did you guys think uh, about game number one and the fact that, you know, the Phillies were just doing their thing, man, where they, you know, going down early and then coming back. And then, of course, uh, Ram Muto ended up winning. We'll start with you, Gabe. What did you think about uh, the, the game one? And they set the tone, you know, and, and, and they showed you that they weren't going to go down without a fight in that game. And I truly believe that if the Phillies did not win that game, that, this will be a post-modem episode where mm-hmm. we will be congratulating the Houston Astros for capturing the World Series championship because there were so many plays in that game that helps to define where we are currently in the series. Like I said, with, with Nick Castellanos making that play, man, like that, that, that would have been a backbreaker to come back from five runs down and lose and that tough of a fashion with the way that that crowd was into it. I I, I just was impressed all the way around, man. Um, Schwarber having big time hits. Castellanos with the glove. Real Muto hitting the, the home run to lead off the top of the tank. And then to be able to have Robertson come in and close it down with runners in scoring position when the Astros had their chances. I mean, that, that was a huge win. I thought after that game, that the Phillies were in the catbird seat pretty mm-hmm. much because they did what they had to do, which was get at least one game in Houston. Yeah, what do you think, Miles? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, they're the, you start off the World Series with a lot of people doubting you, and, and you know, this, this is the team that came in there. It was like, hey, you know, we're not going to just – we're not just going to take this from you guys. We – we, we we heard about what you did to the Yankees the series before, but frankly, we don't care. Uh, so take this out for game one. I think I think it was incredible, incredible uh, timely hitting, especially by uh, Real Muto going back to what Gabe said, driving in three runs and the Harper having two hits and then defensive plays being made. This is a great baseball game overall by both sides. Um, and, and really just came down to, you know, who's going to outlast the other person who's going to make that blow. And uh, Romuto really just setting the tone of that last inning, saying, hey, you know what? Let's go home. Um, and also a very entertaining last inning as well with Robertson, where they kind of almost lost it there as well. They almost blew it as well. Um, yeah, you know, great, great game all around and hitting on both sides and a lot of pitching on both sides. So, you know, I, you know, is uh, that was an entertaining way to kind of set the tone for the series because that really let the Astros know, hey, you know what? You, you, you are not going to do what you think you're going to do as easy as you're planning on doing it. Mm-hmm. And so that's where that respect came in for the Phillies. And you can tell by how the Astros are playing during the rest of the series. They're like, oh, okay, this isn't, we're not going to steamroll this team. We got to play ball. So that's what I loved about game one. But Gabe said it set the tone. Yeah, no, 100%. And, and I think also just the fact that that game could have easily been the Kyle Tucker game, you know, two home runs, you know, to you know, give them a five nothing lead, and and uh, he had four RBI, and uh, could have yeah, could have gone either way, but yeah, just an awesome game, really set the tone. In game number two, uh, it was you know all about uh, Framber Valdez, man. The you know, like I said, he's the quality start king. You know, he went in there six innings, nine Ks, uh, allowing just one earned run. Uh, yeah, what did you think about that one, Miles? And you know what, I think Framber Valdez is gonna be if the if the Astros are able to win in game six and close things out. I think Fernando Valdez is, is going to be the the it, if he comes out and gets you know a, gives another great start he has a very good opportunity to be the World Series MVP because I think he's the one that kind of you know was able to bring back the Astros kind of wake him up a little bit in Game Two and then if he's able to do this I mean hell he's he gave him two wins so I think that he's underappreciated just because you know like let's be real like he's not the sexiest pitcher when it comes to you know he's not like a Justin Verlander he's not a Zach Wheeler but look. At the end of the day, he he gets things done and he, he gets you the win, and that's all that really matters. So yeah, what what do you think, Miles? I'll start with you in just overall game two and, and just about by this and how he how he's been. 
Yeah, uh, you know, that that's a great response game from the Astros. Um, kind of like what I said about the game before, it kind of sets the tone. Uh, Framber Valdez, you know, this is an amazing start. And overall, that pitching staff did great against them, keeping keeping the Phillies at 0-7 with runners in scoring position. Mm-hmm. Um, it just it just says a lot about, you know, it, about his his delivery. And, you know, I kind of like that. I'm I'm really here for like these these interesting windups and like kind of these herky jerky mm-hmm. uh, deliveries because when I watch a game from a player standpoint, for me when I look at a pitcher like you know Aaron Nola, he didn't pitch this game, but he's just an example that comes to my brain. He has a very very timeable windup, and so I think a lot of the deception that goes into you know, pitchers like Framber Valdez and other players who I want to name as well plays a huge part. Um, so I think just in general, um, keeping the ball, keeping the ball out of the air, keeping the hitters off balance. That's uh, one of those things that not only the Astros do very well, but he's the perfect example of a pitcher that has done that and done it very well against the Phillies. So that's what I took away from his performance against the very, very hot Phillies lineup. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead again. Yeah, you know, I I always call Johnny Cueto Mr. Consistent for the White Sox. That's pretty much what Framber Valdez has been for the Houston Astros. This guy is always giving you a quality start. He's always giving you six innings plus. He's always keeping the walks to a minimum. He's not gonna walk any more than maybe four to three guys every start. And like me and you were talking about in the midst of this series, saw. He always finds a way to get out of jams. And that's one of the most important things that you can do, especially in October. You talked about how they had seven men left on base and that, you know, under Valdez's watch, but not one score. So, you mm-hmm. know, that, that goes to show you right there that he's doing what he's been doing all season long and that he is as good as advertised. And I had the pleasure of watching this Houston team come through here in August and seeing Framber Valdez in action do the same thing to the White Sox. And I, I, I agree with you, Saul. If he puts together another grand quality outing in game six and Houston is in the lead in the bottom, at the top of the ninth with a chance to win and they close it out, yeah, you, you definitely have to consider him as the World Series MVP. And he's a guy, in my opinion, everybody talks about Dylan Cease, and rightfully so, mm-hmm. as being one of the top guys in the AL Cy Young race, even though I think we all know that Justin Verlander is the consensus favorite and will likely get it. But Framber mm-hmm. Valdez has just as much of a legitimate argument as those two guys, in my opinion. Yeah. Because he's been the definition of an ace for that staff. He just doesn't get all the credit. But the people in Houston know it. And I, I know a lot of media figures within Houston, and they praise him a great deal, and rightfully so, as he showed why in game two. Yeah, hundred percent. You know, and, and they know. You know, people in Houston, they they for sure know. Um, I just wish he was talked about more around the league, just because of how good he is, and 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 just the fact that like it, it also I looked at his contract too, and I think he's like only making like five hundred k, and like not saying five hundred k is you know nothing, but compared to the rest of the league, uh, you know that's that's crazy. You know, if he continues that, he's gonna make, get a major payday, and it's gonna you know skyrocket, but. Uh, so the series is tied at one apiece after game two. Then in game number three, obviously, was postponed. They moved it, and then the uh, the Phillies able to come out with a seven to nothing win. Now, this one was this one was a key game, and I'll tell you one thing. I'll tell you, and I'll tell you why. And this one kind of sparked a little bit of a conversation as well that, that I think always comes up when it comes to Dusty Baker. But Lance McCullers gave up five home runs in this game. Now, it. What what's always talked about with with you know with Dusty is is his handling of the pitching staff right and in game one you could have said the same thing with you know leaving Verlander a little bit too you know uh, leaving him in too long I understand he's your ace maybe that's you know I guess I'll give you the the, the benefit of the doubt there but when it comes Lance Lance McCullers you know giving up you know three home runs is one thing but giving up five home runs you know it, that's it's crazy especially the World Series but I wanted to get your opinion we'll start with you Gabe. Uh, you know, like I said, Phillies were able to win this one seven nothing, and I'm not saying hey, if it was three nothing, you know, it, you know that they that the uh, Phillies wouldn't have won or anything like that, but it would have given them, you know, the the the, the Astros a little bit of a better chance. So yeah, what did you think about Dusty's decisions there, 
um, and just the overall game? Well, I was critical of it, as you know, Saul, you know, talking mm-hmm. with you and, and our and our channels and, and so forth, because with the extra day of rest, I kind of couldn't help but ask myself, why wouldn't you go with Justin Verland? Or why wouldn't you bump Christian Javier up? You know, because you 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 could you could pick and choose your spots, if you will. And when you're the road team, which Houston was in this case as a series shifted to Philadelphia, you know, you kind of gotta be aggressive with how you how you mix and manage pieces. And McCullers was a guy who, as we know, was coming off of, you know, surgery with his with his arm and so forth and had to take some time to get right and didn't really come back into the middle of the season for this Astro squad. So I, I kind of had a lot of questions with that. But Philly's bats just showed up, man. You know, and, and you could tell that that was a city who hadn't seen a, a World Series game in 13 years. And they 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 fueled off of it. They got him early and often. And they and it led to runs. And before you knew it, Houston was in trouble and they had a problem, as they say, you know, at the Johnson Space Center. So I I um I have questions about Dusty Baker's managing of pitchers, but as you would get into, I think as the series went along, kind of redeemed himself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, shoot. <laughs> the the Phillies, the Phillies are jumping all over the mistakes. And to add to Gabe's point, we're out here tipping pitches, bro. Yeah. Like, like you know, it <laughs> It's it's one it's one thing to 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 locate bat and 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 not pitch well to to a team that's hot offensively, but to be tipping your pitches, you know, of course you give up five home runs. Of course you got hit as hard as you did, mm-hmm. and and you know sometimes for certain pitchers they don't realize that they're doing it because they're thinking about the grip in their hand. They're thinking about just the. A lot of pitchers don't recognize that they're doing it because they're not thinking about it. You know, I, I don't, in, in my opinion, I don't think anyone really talked to him about it and, and they didn't make any adjustments. Therefore, he kept on getting shelled. And, you know, you have that on top of the, the fan base that is just, that was just craving a World Series win and, and just the presence in Philly. Yeah, yeah, the the the, the, the outcome that happened, you, you know, you, you, we were not surprised by it. Um, and, and hopefully McCullers is able to learn from that start a little bit and kind of take that and go forward and not and you know make make adjustments because that was just it was almost a home run derby and it, and it was it was very entertaining to watch offensively from the Philly standpoint um, but unfortunately for the Astros it was very very demoralizing um, but you know it's uh, that's just baseball man that's just baseball so it's those little things those little things that we notice as players and fans can make the biggest difference. And I think that was one of the big difference makers during during that game, aside from uh, the Philly faithful absolutely firing up their team. It had me fired up just by watching. So, yeah, that's what I think when it comes to that. Yeah, I think, the, dude, the, the crowd in Philly is just electric. It's just insane. Like, and, and I think it would be like that even if they played in the playoffs every year. Like, it's just the way they are. It's just, uh, it's just Philadelphia. And, and and it's cool also to see, like, the celebrities like Miles Teller and, you know, the hell, even, like, they had, uh, you know, Le- Philly legends throwing out the first pitch yesterday. Yeah. And it was, like, you know, Chase Utley, Jimmy Rollins, you know. You know, they had Charlie Manuel out there. It was, it was pretty cool to see that. And, uh, and yeah. But uh, what I was going to say, too, is that, yeah, you're right with the whole um, – uh, tipping pitches that was another thing everyone was talking about with Lance McCullers and yeah that's another thing too is that you know and, and we'll you know we'll you know talk about the what does he did you know to go on but at this point yeah we were like I was just confused I was like man if he really is pitch uh, tipping his pitches and I think they kind of he kind of downplayed it too when they asked him in uh after the game about whether he was tipping pitches and stuff and um and then like you know there was a whole thing with like you know a lot of people were talking about, oh, Bryce Harper knew that he was tipping pitches and he was talk, telling players like, hey, this, this, and that. And uh, I know they they uh, they asked Alec Bohm after the game, uh, like they were like, oh, what did Bryce say to you, you know, during this, this, and that? And then he was just like, oh, nothing, like nothing. Like, it would, also, what do you expect like him to say? Oh, yeah, he was telling me that 
Lance right. McCullers, you know, I was doing this, this, and that. That's why I'm going to hit a bomb. What he you know said what I mean? so was like, like no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nice, nice try, though. That's yeah. clubhouse business. And yeah, it's like exactly. Mal said, you know, when, when a guy is sipping pitches, you know, and, and I know Miles has played the game, and even I myself have played at a, at a, on a smaller level. You know what to expect if you know what's coming. I mean, mm. it's, it's easy going up to the plate. Pretty much, you know, it's, hey, it's, it's, it's take your pick when you see it. Make sure to, mm. to hunt it down and attack it. Put a good swing on it. And do damage with it. And that's what they did. Yeah, 100%. And also got to give credit to Ranger Suarez, man. I mean, five innings, you know, the kid going in there, striking out four and, and just giving up three hits. So um, that's somebody who I think is going to play a key part in these in, in these last two games, uh, whether it be out of the bullpen or making a start. So, um, yeah, it's a good good confidence boost for him. Uh, then going into uh, game number four, uh, of course, the story was Astros, you know, got the team no hitter. Um, and it's just the second no-hitter in World Series history. And, you know, we'll start with you, Miles. What did you think about this overall uh, performance from the Astros pitching staff? And then also, what did you think about Aaron? What have you thought about Aaron Nola? Because I was going to say that. I was going to mention him after game one. After, you know, or sorry, after game two, was that, you know, when it was tight 1-1, I was kind of thinking to myself, I'm like, if, you know, if the if Aaron Nola is not Aaron Nola, then the Phillies are going to have a tough time winning this series. Um, and I think, you know, as it is, as it stands right now, three, two Astros, um, you know, I think, you know, despite Wheeler being as good as he is, I think the X factor as, as we've gotten later on in the series, I think I pushed it to Aaron Nola, but um, in this, you know, this series, sorry, this game, he took the loss in that five to nothing um, win for the Astros. What did you think about the no hitter? And just what did you think about that game overall? Oh, so, oh my gosh! I to just to start with the the Astros in terms of pitching, dude. Christian Javier is like a cheat code, man. He he reminds yeah. me of the kind of player that I've made on MLB the Show to just dominate <laughs> and never give up any runs. He is he is he was lights out along with the rest of that pitching staff. Um, you know, uh, Rafael Montero, that's another 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 key arm out of the pen this year who has mm-hmm. also been lights out and is just completely blowing it by hitters. Um, mm-hmm. Really, I guess what I'm trying to say is that in terms of pitching-wise and, 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 and getting hitters out, they they were doing their job and they were consistently doing. That's like, and what's even more crazy is that they used three pitchers that game. They used three. They didn't, they didn't mm-hmm. use a lot of pitchers. But we've seen this from this ball club. We saw it when they went to extra innings with the Mariners. They know how to pitch. They know how to develop very good pitchers. It is just something. It, it's like I'm amazed by it, but I'm not surprised. Not even a little bit. Not even not even a little bit. This is something I kind of almost expected. Um, and when, when it comes when it comes to Aaron Nola, from from one thing that I'm noticing as a player is just that. He's not going to blow you away, but he does know how to locate extremely well. He's mm-hmm. always been very good at knowing how to locate his pitches. Now, with that being said, he also has a windup where as a hitter, it's very, very timeable. It's very foot up, foot down, back to the zone, pow. And I think that has always been one of my critiques about not only Aaron Nola, but other pitchers in the MLB that um, if, if you give hitters, like, rhythm and timing, I mean, I mean, best of luck to you. I hope you have stuff that's going to blow them away or keep them off balance. But he didn't do any of that. Hitters weren't off balance. Hitters were timing him up very well. And on top of his opponent getting no hit, you know, I, best of luck to you. I mean, his teammates getting no hit, best of luck to you. So, um, you know, that, that was one of those games where it was really just – the Astros took care of business on both sides, and the Phillies were just outplayed. Yeah. Yeah, and, and who would have ever thought that an international free agent that was signed for $10,000, you know, would play this big of a part in the Houston Astros rotation? You know, I talked with Saul about it prior to game four, and I was saying in order for Houston to really put themselves back in this series, how important game four was going to be and that I expected Christian Javier to go at least six innings 
and to give up at least two earned runs or less. I felt like he had to do that in order to give the Astros a chance. He went six innings, and he pitched no-hit baseball. And he kind of got his justice for, you know, the way he performed early in the year against New York. Mm-hmm. He's proven that he can silence offense by doing what's necessary to get the out by any means. Bregman came through with timely hits. But from a Phillies perspective, I think that this was a very rough loss because you go from having the bats out in game three, putting up a seven spot, to now you get no hit in your own ballpark where you were 6-0 and throughout the entire playoffs. It's one thing to lose in a close game, but when you lose like that, Mm-hmm. That that takes a while. I don't care if it's April or May, June, July, um, October. That's a rough loss to experience, and I and I really think that that's what shifted the momentum of this series in a great degree to Houston. Yeah, hundred percent. And think about it. You know, Astros win Game Six. Astros, you know, win the World Series in general. We're gonna look at that. We're gonna look at this as, as a swing game. We're gonna look at this as the game that changed the series. And and I think that kind of, um, you know, that seven to nothing loss in, in for the Astros might have been the thing that wake that woke them up. And you know, and that's the thing though that people have been talking about this whole postseason is the way that the Astros are able to bounce back. I mean, they 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 were granted they were undefeated going into the LC or sorry into the World Series. But they have that mindset of just moving on to the next thing, you know, after these two losses against the Phillies, that they're not really worried because they've been there, done that. So it's 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 that elite mindset of being able to move on, and they've been able to do that. And, and obviously, you know, uh, as we move on down to game five, uh, they were able to, again, move on and just take care of business. And they did that with Justin Verlander on the mound. Uh, you know, had a shaky start. Um, you know, both teams scoring in the first inning, um, and of course, uh, Schwarber hitting a bomb off of Verlander the first, but Verlander was able to settle in and uh, get his first career uh, World Series win. So uh, we'll start with you, Gabe. What did you think about uh, last night's performance? And you, you, you know, you mentioned a lot of the defensive plays from this game already, with the whole Chaz play in the ninth inning, you know, leaping up, leaping grab, and then also you know Trey Mancini saving a couple of runs. But what did you think about this game? And then also just Justin Verlander, who you know who has had a tough go in the World Series in his career. You know, I believe he had a six over, you know, entering that game. He had an ERA over six. Uh, he was like 0-6, something like that. So, yeah, what would you think? They just show why they are truly the best team in the American League and why all year long they've been the base, best team in baseball, in my opinion. Um, Justin Verlander didn't have his A-plus stuff, but yet he still found a way to get out of jams jams when they needed him to you know most pitchers if that's a young pitcher who gives up that home run to Kyle Schwarber off of just the second pitch in the ball game you kind of have a reason to fret but this is when I give Dusty Baker credit mm-hmm. a guy who typically has been known to leave starters in for long periods of time trusting his guy and letting him work through his mistakes letting him find a way to get in and out of those jams because it paid off for him. And I think his management of Verlander combined with his management of Montero putting in Ryan Presley in the bottom of that eighth to get the last five outs of the game, job well done. I think Dusty managed his best game in game five. And I believe that Verlander's ability to get out of jams and paying his big-time hits combined with that insurance run that they were able to get in at the top of the eighth, proved to be the difference in the game. In Philadelphia, failing to bring in runs that they had in scoring position. That was the the difference to me. Yeah, I mean, you know, Verlander's kind of settling after that, and he was just dotting and locating. Um, as, as, As a manager, there's not much more that you can ask for out of your pitcher than to locate well and just dot and you know, keep the ball out of the air as much as possible. And he showed he showed why he's been in the MLB for so long to just, you know, kind of kind of neutralize that Phillies offense for the most part going forward. And it's just it just says a lot about just says a lot about, you know, his maturity and you know 
I'm super happy for him. He finally got that first World Series win. And you can see though, some of that meant a lot to him. He's not trying to lose in the World Series. You know what I mean? He's not trying to get shelled the postseason. Neither is pitchers like Clayton, Clayton Kershaw, who we know is a, has, a, had a phenom- has had a phenomenal career, but has also struggled in the postseason. So when I see things like that, that makes me very happy. And it's just, you know, timely hitting here and there. And that's, that's one of those games where it just came down to, hey, you know what? Who's going to get the better timely hits? When are we going to get the outs we needed to? And, you know, that's what game five really came down to. And uh, it's going to be interesting going into game six. You know, now we're going back to Houston. The Astros are kind of playing with a little bit more momentum as they kind of, uh, kind of, they, they've pretty much neutralized a lot of Philly's energy going the last few games. Now going into Houston, you know, is, is definitely, is definitely going to be a climb, but I have more than enough faith in both teams to, to make some sort of incredible, incredible game out of this next game coming up. And it's, uh, it's interesting. It's very interesting, but this is a very important win for the Astros going forward. Very important. Yeah, a hundred percent. And I think also just the fact that, you know, uh, you kind of get a little bit of redemption on, on multiple ends. You guys have mentioned, you know, with this Dusty Baker, Verlander. And that's another thing too, is that, you know, they always, they, you know, you're in, you made a good point miles in the sense of like, these guys aren't trying to lose, you know, they always ask them, they're like, man, what do you think about this and that? And like, you haven't won in the world series. And it's like, you know, it's like, you're not trying to lose. It's like, I'm uh, you know, are you trying to win? So uh, yeah, good for him trying to, you know, good for him in, in you know, in getting his first win and, you know, it's going to be uh, definitely a dog fight, you know, and, and just to preview the last two games, uh, we'll do that before we go. Uh, obviously game six and seven this weekend, uh, game six is already set with the pitching uh, matchup. It's Zach Wheeler versus Framber Valdez. But for you guys, I want to we'll we'll do one thing uh, that needs to happen uh, in these last two games. We'll start with you, Gabe. Uh, one thing that needs to happen for the team, uh, for example, one one thing for each team for them to win the World Series. Uh, what do you think the the Phillies got to do, and what do you think the Astros got to do uh, to win the World Series? What's we'll our you, Gabe? For the Phillies, I feel like pouncing early. And drawing first blood is important. You know, being a road team against a pitcher like Valdez, you want to find a way to get to him early. Don't let him get settled in. Be aggressive at the plate. You know, hunt for the pitches that you 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 find and and that you're you're seeking to do damage with it and find a way to do it and, and drive in runs because you can't find a way to get back in this series and win the World Series if you don't drive in runners when you have them in scoring position, mm-hmm. which they didn't do in game five. I think that's what they have to do. But the Astros, just, you know, continue to get the most out of your pitching department and find a way to continue getting timely hits like they have been doing. Jeremy Pena has, has been incredible, but Hopefully, you would hope that, you know, a guy like Jose Altuve can be that spark plug, get going. Because if he can have a good game six, you never know what that might do to ignite the rest of the group over there in Houston in that dugout as they seek to capitalize on this opportunity and deliver Dusty Baker his first World Series championship. Yeah, you know, I, I agree with everything. I think I think with the Phillies, don't let these pitchers get settled in. We've seen the deeper that these pitchers go into the game, the more difficult it becomes to hit. And even if, and even if you know, they're able to get a guy like Valdez out of the game by, by the fifth or sixth inning, you still have a very difficult bullpen you have to go through. Set the tone early, score the runs early while you can, and build off of that momentum. Because it's you know, it kind of it kind of plays back and forth to the Astros. For, for the Astros, I'm saying keep pitching the way you've been pitching those last two games and really the majority of how you've been pitching this entire postseason is is some of the best pitching I've seen in my entire life. So I think just keeping that same approach in terms of dominating on the mound, keeping hitters off balance, getting the double play ball when you need to, striking guys out when you have to, neutralizing that Phillies offense as much as you can on top of the timely hitting that this team seems to always have in every single game. Build off of that, and I think that's just going to win the Astros a World Series. And yeah, with, with, with the Phillies, just jump on those opportunities as early as you can because the Phillies are a very big momentum team. When they score early and they feel good about themselves, they become very dangerous. If, if they're not getting the offense that they want to in the beginning, then they're kind of like, oh, oh, snap, okay. 
Now, now, now they, they kind of go into scramble mode offensively, but and they don't have to do that. But that seems to be their mentality. So I would say, you know, for, for this game coming up, score early, score often, give Wheeler the support that he needs to on the mound. You know what I mean? So, you know, it just comes down to, hey, who, who, who's going who's gonna, to, who's gonna, you know, make the first move, who's going to strike first and build off of that momentum. Yeah, of course. And I think, too, is, you know, for me, it's going to be the bullpens for each team. I think, uh, you know, Astros have been lights out for their bullpen has been just, it just, it's just been disrespectful, you know, like to each team has just been crazy. Uh, and the Phillies, it, it, it hasn't been, it hasn't, uh, it hasn't been bad or anything. It's been good, but I'm saying like, I think they have to be, they, they're going to, if they want to win the series, they're going to have to shore up a little bit more and kind of, you know, they're going to have to, you know, be elite to, to beat the Phillies. I think mean, it's, 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 you know, it's obviously easier said than done, but I think that's what's going to have to happen. Uh, they're going to have to be better. Um, and, uh, because, and, and well, and, and also what I say, what I, what I'll say is that, you know, having Suarez in there, having, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, probably Cindergaard in there, you know, and having more arms in there now available with these last two games, that's going to help them out a lot. So I think that's going to be the, probably, you know, going to make the difference. Um, but yeah, man, that'll, that'll do it just about for episode 31 for the at bat baseball podcast. Uh, you know, the Astros up three, two in the series, but plenty of baseball left and we'll cover it next week for sure. Uh, when it's all said and done and wrapped up. So I am Saul Rodriguez along with Gabe Wilkins and Miles Porter. Hopefully everyone has a great weekend. Enjoy.